Well, it's always good to be with you this morning. We're continuing our open series, as we've already mentioned, and our focus is going to be on the practice of celebrating. Hope you're able to get one of these notebooklets on your way in this morning. Uh, If not, they are available at the Welcome Center. They'll give you some real practical ways uh, to try out this spiritual practice of celebrating uh, in the particular way we're talking about it, at least for the next week. And I have been personally really blessed by these these encouragements to not just study something or read about it, and in my case, talk about it, but to try to live those things out, to, to try to do things that we believe help us become more and more like Jesus by creating space in our lives for God to work. So this morning, as we think about the spiritual practice of celebrating, I want to start with a statement And that statement is that we live in a world that is saturated by stories. They're everywhere, all the time. And and this has always been true, but because of technology, we now live in a world that is saturated by stories, and we know it. We're aware of it. We, We can't escape this reality of almost every single time that we reach for a remote, or turn off the car radio, or reach for a computer, or a smartphone, or a tablet, or the newspaper, or a magazine. Anytime we open our minds up to the world around us, immediately stories come rushing in. And not all of those stories are comforting. Not all of those stories are good stories. They sometimes make us feel afraid. They sometimes make us feel anxious. They sometimes make us feel small. And alone. There are times we look at our world and the stories that our world is telling us, and it seems like maybe we're all about to go over a cliff together. But there are other kinds of stories. And if you're anything like me, it's it's the kinds of stories that you were first given from people in your life, bedtime stories, right? That that by design tend to be soothing stories that that in the books that, that you read from, there's all these comforting images, and the words are simple. And, and so you have these, these stories that start to shape you from the earliest of ages. Some of them are fables and fairy tales, Jack and the Beanstalk and the Tortoise and the Hare. But then other stories aren't just make-believe. They're stories that are made for belief. My, my family didn't just read fables and fairy tales to me. They also read early beginners' Bibles to me and storybooks that still turned many of the stories in Scripture that are, are complex into simple, soothing versions of those stories. So you had Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden, and you had Moses parting the Red Sea, all of these told in ways that would still let you slip off to sleep. You, know, you want to have some excitement, but not too much excitement. And yet, there were times, even as a kid, that when my, my parents would read to me stories about Jesus walking on the water or Jesus coming back from the dead, where I found that it was just a little difficult to slip off to sleep because of how amazing those stories were. And these stories, all of them, not just the scripture stories, but even the fairy tales and the fables, they all, they all taught me what it was going to, to look like to become an adult in the world, right? To grow up. These stories, they, 
they grew my imagination of who I could be, of what was right and wrong, and, and what kind of life I wanted to choose to live. I mean, these stories that other people in our lives choose for us, to, to give us, they are every bit as important in your personal development. They're every bit as important for who you are today as the food you were eating back then. They're that nurturing. They, they have that much impact into who we are. Stories aren't just something that entertain us. They, they shape us. In the stories that, that we read, whether they're from the newspaper or from a fairy tale book or from Scripture, stories give us characters. And we're drawn to some of these characters. We're, we're repelled from other characters. And, and we find that that we've got to make some decisions because in stories we are told in vivid, dramatic fashion what a good life looks like and where that life can lead us. We're also told in very stark ways what a not-so-good life looks like, what a a bad life is like, a selfish life, a power-hungry life, and where those kinds of, of lives will lead us. In many ways, other people get to decide which stories we hear, at least at first. But as time passes, and as we start to become our own person, we're given more and more ability to make our own decisions about which stories we're going to open our minds and our hearts up to. This is really important, because I think at times, you and I feel like we don't have any power when it comes to which stories are going to dominate our lives. But you and I, if we're going to tell the truth, as we mature, as we grow up, we have to admit that we get to decide how many news stories we're going to spend our time focusing on. There was a recent study about what scares people the most. Now, you've probably heard preachers and other speakers talk about these. Speakers love to bring this up because usually the number one thing that people are afraid of, even more than death itself, is public speaking. So it's like a backhanded way to compliment yourself while you're sharing the study. That's not this study. That was on there somewhere, but it was buried somewhere in the middle of the top ten. You want to know what the number one thing is that Americans are afraid of right now? What would you guess? The election. More than death itself. You and I get to decide which stories we spend our time focusing on. We get to decide how long we're going to spend reading hope-filled stories and encouraging stories that build us up. We get to decide how long we're going to spend obsessing over stories that that lead us to believe that there's almost no good future available, available to us if this were to happen, or if this were to happen, or if this other thing were to happen. You and I get to decide. We get to decide. And it's not just news stories and, and novels and books. It's also we, we have to decide, as people of faith, when it comes to stories from Scripture, how much we're going to let those, those events And the meanings of those events that we read about time and time again. How much we're going to let those stories shape us. How much we're going to dig into what those stories could mean for us. And not just us, but for the world. So we have to be very, very careful about those decisions that we make. And we don't want to speak as if we're victims of all the stories that are out there. 
Paul talks about, taking every thought captive for Christ. Right? We've got to figure out how to decide what we're focusing on and which stories we're sharing and telling and amplifying in, in not just our own personal hearts, but in the lives and the hearts of other people. There are times when the stories we, we find in Scripture seem very similar to all those other stories. They can be exciting. They can be filled with, with good guys and bad guys and daring rescues and crushing defeats. There, there are amazing things that happen that we can hardly believe ever took place. And then there are horrible things that happen that we wish had just never happened at all. But there's something different about stories from Scripture. There just is. Because no matter how, how dark things get, there is a light that's always shining no matter how confusing things get, there's always this love that's trying to lead us always closer to a better place. No matter who else is in the story, there's always this, this loving, sacred trinity, this divine community of Father, Son, and Spirit that are there. And they're not going anywhere. Walking beside each and every character in every single story of Scripture and so we find this truth, and that is that in the story that matters most, in the story of the Bible, and in all of those individual stories that make up the Bible, there is a main character, and it is not us. It's not us, it's God. And we know that, we understand that, I think, especially when we're in church and we've got the Bible open and we're reading, we know that it's not really just a story of David and Goliath. It's a story about a God who rescues David from Goliath. But if we were there, if we'd seen it happen, and especially if we'd been David, we'd be pretty tempted to think we pulled off the impossible. It's not about whether or not we've heard it before. It's not about whether or not we have mental agreement with this confession that of all the stories that matter most, God is at the center of those stories, that God is the main character of, the, of those stories. What we struggle with is, what does that actually look like in our lives? What does that look like in our stories? Every story we experience where good overcomes evil, where hope overcomes despair, where life overcomes loss, those aren't really our stories. They're God's stories. I mean, you and I hear about them, we, we read about them, we, we see them unfold, we might even be right in the midst of them as they unfold, but stories where pain and fear and sorrow and hatred and death itself are overcome through the power of undying, unselfish love— those aren't really our stories. They're not about us. They are God's stories, and they are about God. They're not stories about us and what we manage to do to beat the odds. They're stories about God and how God shows up and changes everything for the better. Now, it might seem like this is a pretty, pretty minor correction. Us admitting that that we aren't the main characters in our own lives, but that self-denying perspective is something that you and I have to fight to hold on to because a self-denying perspective is a key part of what it means to follow Jesus. How are we ever going to honestly say no to ourselves and say yes to, 
to taking up our crosses daily unless we hold firm to the central conviction of the Christian faith that our lives are not ultimately about us. You know how I know we struggle with this? The best-selling Christian books always include the word you in the title. Look it up. Every year. And how is that not some kind of messaging that says, even the story of Jesus Christ is ultimately about you? And what does that do to us as people of faith? If we keep telling ourselves that that the story of God, the story of, of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit doing everything to save everyone in this world is ultimately really just a story about me or about you. What, what, why would we as Christian people want to live lives that small? Why would we make that choice? If you're a committed Christian, your friendships aren't about you. Your marriage isn't about you. Your job isn't about you, and your children aren't just extensions of you. If you're a committed Christian, your life is not, cannot be about you. Your life has to be about God. Our lives have to be about God. They have to be about God and who God calls us to be, and not just for our sake, but for everybody's sake. And this soul-deep danger of thinking that every single thing that happens in this world is ultimately about me or it's ultimately about you. This, this soul deep difficulty of having that self-denying perspective day after day and moment after moment I know it sounds like it's almost impossible for us to actually do instead of just talk about or study about, but to actually live. But I'm here this morning to tell you, brothers and sisters, that if we can find a way to step into that self-denial for the sake of Jesus Christ, not to be forced into, and I'm not talking about somebody uh, through abuse or through force making you feel like nothing. I'm talking about believing that because of Jesus Christ, your value has already been set that you are worth the life of Jesus Christ himself, but that he has a dream for you in saving you, and that dream doesn't end with you. That if we can find a way to get over ourselves enough to live for the sake of other people, as hard as that sounds, it is good, good news. In fact, it is gospel news, because finding a way to care more about other people than yourself is what it feels like to undergo the miraculous journey of being saved. Being saved feels like making your life story a God story. That's what being saved feels like. In his first letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul kind of models, what, the, what, can we, what can we do to start to live that way? Well, we start to tell better stories about ourselves. By that I mean, we tell stories about God in us working through us, and not just about us and what we accomplish and what we do. So if you've got your Bible, open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 12. Listen to how Paul, arguably, outside of Jesus, the most impressive disciple, the, the most impressive Christian in the New Testament, listen to how he talks. 
to Timothy, his spiritual son, who he's, he's trying intentionally to mentor. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul won't even take credit for his own faith. It was given to him. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now listen to how Paul tells his own story. Who's the main character in that story? It isn't Paul. It's not Paul. It's Jesus Christ. Paul is finding a way to turn his life story into a God story. And it's more than that. He's wanting to model that way of storytelling to this young minister who he's trying to to say, this is what it looks like to be a minister of the gospel. This this is what it looks like to be a, a Christian leader. This is what it looks like to be one who follows first. And then calls other, others to follow again. This is what it looks like. Paul makes it clear in his life, if there's any credit that should be given, that credit goes to God. If there's any glory that's going to come, that glory's going to go to God. If there's anything in Paul's life that he's accomplished that's worth celebrating, Paul's going to make the decision not to celebrate himself and his accomplishments, but to celebrate God. And he makes the decision... To not only think this way, but to talk this way for the sake of Timothy who's listening to the story. Because he wants Timothy to see that it really is possible to talk like this and believe like this and see your life and the world like this. We don't share enough God-centered stories about our lives and the lives of others in church. We just don't. Now we're going to talk about why that's so important in a moment. But I want us to go ahead and define this, this practice of celebrating that Paul is modeling for us. Celebrating is finding ways in a self-centered world to tell God-centered stories about our lives and the lives of others. Finding ways in a self-centered world to tell God-centered stories about our lives and the lives of others. Now, we don't do this enough at church. We don't do this enough at church because we don't share enough stories from our lives at church. I mean, I get to do that some. But for the rest of us, church is not primarily a place where we celebrate these kinds of stories. It's, it's hard to create space to do that. It's hard to have the courage to do that. I struggle with doing this. I really do. Okay, for one reason I struggle with sharing stories about God is I've been wrong before. And I don't want to be wrong again, and I certainly don't want to be wrong in public. 
right? I've, I've told stories before where I think this is what God's doing in my life or God's leading me to do something in my life. And as things unfold, as things happen, I look back and I realize I wasn't really listening to God as much as I was listening to myself and my own desires. And I'm not going to blame God for getting me here. But I've already told a bunch of people that this is what I thought God was leading me to do. You do that one time, especially in ministry, and then you have a bunch of people asking you, well, what happened? You don't tell stories anymore like that. Another reason that I struggle is I've been on the receiving end of somebody else sitting me down and telling me a God story that's about me that I didn't know. They sit down and they say, God told me to tell you that you need to do this or that in this situation. And in those moments, there have been many times I have felt controlled and manipulated by that other person who's using God's name in ways that I'm not quite sure of. And I don't want to do that to anybody else. So I just don't do it. I don't talk like that. But see, the, the, the problem that we face when because of awkwardness or because of, of just worry or because of the fact that we're not really comfortable sharing stories. It's just not something that we grew up doing and we don't exactly know how to tell stories and so we just, we have experiences and, and yet we don't talk about them. When we as, as church people don't celebrate what God is doing in our lives, we all lose out. We all lose out. Because as amazing as it is that God is doing something in your life, if you only keep it to yourself, I, I, don't, I don't get to see it. I, I don't get to know that it happened. I don't get to experience the blessing of getting to witness the many ways that God still moves in our lives. And because of these, these excuses that we come up with and, and time issues and, and just having unsettled feelings about telling God-centered stories, I find that I often tell stories about my life and other people, and it basically becomes a story about us and what we manage to do to get through this or that situation. Now, I might remember if I'm in the right moment and I look at somebody and catch their eye and I remember that I'm in church, I might at the end of that story say, thank God, but it feels less like the truth and more like a token, and I struggle when I tell stories and the only place that God has in those stories in my life is at the very end. Just a little statement. And the reason that that's an issue, the reason that, that I'm concerned about it is not just because you and I need to practice telling stories, though I believe that we do need to practice how we tell stories. It's that if we tell stories long enough about our past, where the only characters in it are us. It's not just impacting the way we talk about our past. It's, it's impacting the way we see our past. And then it's starting to impact the way we see our present and our future. If most of the stories in your life really only involve you, and they, they barely have God somewhere on the margins because we're too nervous to name the places where God is in those stories, then I, what I'm afraid of is when you stop expecting to see God... You stop seeing God. When you stop expecting to encounter the risen Christ, it's not that the risen Christ isn't out there. It's not that the risen Christ isn't in here. It's not that the risen Christ isn't resurrected. It's that we're blind and deaf, and we've done it to ourselves. 
That's what's at stake when it comes to how we, we talk about the things that happen to us and whether or not we believe in those moments that God is showing up and that God is the reason that those stories, if, if any story in our life turns out good, that we would automatically say as people of faith, I didn't make that happen, God made that happen. God is the main character in all the best stories that make up our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that God is overpowering us and micromanaging us and every single thing that happens to us. But it does mean that through it all, God is present, God is working, God is with us, God is in us, God is active through us and any good that is in us. We need to confess over and over as we tell those stories that if there's any good in me, it doesn't come from me, it comes from God. And if I tell a story and there's any credit that's going to be given, it's going to be given to God. And if there's any glory that comes from the story, then it's going to go to God. And if there's anything in my life that happens that we're celebrating, I'm going to choose to celebrate God. I have a feeling that if you were to ask Paul what he would, if you said to him, there's going to be churches around 2,000 years after you, And they're going to be a whole lot bigger than house churches. They're not just going to have 30 to 40 people in them. There's going to be 1,000 people in a room together. Paul, what do you think they'd be doing? You know what he'd say? Can you imagine all the stories? Can you imagine all the stories you get to hear and tell about God and God's goodness? Would they ever go home? Would they just stay and tell stories and sing and praise And and be thankful and grateful for all these things. Would they ever stop celebrating? I don't think Paul could imagine a, a time in the life of the church where the primary posture would be that we've that it's duty, that we've got to get through this, that that it's not the most exciting thing that that you do in the week, but but it's important, and so you get through it and 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 then you move on. I, I think Paul would say, How would you ever interrupt? all of those incredible stories and go do anything else. And then Paul would would correct himself and say, well, I guess you would have to go live more stories. But then come back and share them. Talk about God. Talk about God through you. For God's sake, let's celebrate God. Let's tell the good stories. Let's let's tell the stories about God carrying us through something that we know we couldn't have survived on our own. Let's tell stories about being wounded but then healed and then God using us to heal other wounded people in our lives. Let's tell stories about God working in us and through us. And yes, brothers and sisters, let's have the courage to tell stories where God works in spite of us. To open our eyes, to help us see good overcoming evil and hope of overcoming despair and life overcoming loss. Let's tell stories about God showing up when we least expect it and helping us see the truth that we are not alone and we don't get to take credit and the glory doesn't belong to us. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, you have two disciples who are heartbroken. They've just watched their Savior die on a cross, and they're going back home, and they're pretty sure that, that the world is not really going to change. It's just that everything that they had hoped for is gone. And a fellow traveler starts to walk beside them on the road, and they don't recognize him at first, and they're talking together, and he's friendly enough, he's warm enough, that they invite him to stay with them. I want you to, to pick up with me here in Luke chapter 24, 
So they sit down to eat. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up. This is the part I want us to pay close attention to. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Why? Because you don't experience that kind of God story and not share it. So they go back, they find the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and they say, it's true, the Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, don't you find it compelling that it's in the act of these two disciples sharing a story about encountering Jesus that everybody who's listening to them tell the story, they get to encounter Jesus? It's while they're telling the story of Jesus being alive and being present and being there that everybody else listening to that story being shared gets to experience that same reality. Now, you can ask a lot of things about what Luke may or may not be doing with this story, but one thing he has to be doing is he has to talk about, he has to get us to understand, this is what's possible when you and I refuse to be silent when a story like this happens to us. And we find a way to come and share this story with somebody else. Luke is saying that when you find the courage and the faith to do that, you are opening up the opportunity that the person you're sharing the story with will encounter the same Jesus you did. Why wouldn't you share that story? And even if in that moment they don't encounter the risen Lord, what you're doing is opening up the opportunity, this this idea for them, maybe for the first time if you're talking to somebody who doesn't have faith, this idea that Jesus Christ is out there, and that they're going to see him. They're going to experience him. This is what's possible when we share stories. We open up this possibility and that possibility opens up our heart and it opens up the eyes of our heart and we're suddenly able to see Jesus. We're able to see God. We're able to see the Holy Spirit present and working in the ordinary, everyday, mundane aspects of our lives. The more we celebrate God, the more we share stories about God showing up and doing things that we simply couldn't do on our own, the more we create an expectation in one another that God really is going to show up and do something amazing for us and in us and through us and at times in spite of us. And that kind of hope-filled expectation is a holy hunger that we absolutely need to have. You should be longing to see Jesus. With every fiber of your being, you should be longing to feel the guidance of the Holy Spirit and to hear the voice of God. Once we stop expecting to see God, I'm afraid that we run the very real risk of losing our ability to see God anywhere outside of Scripture. And while seeing God in Scripture is unquestionably a blessing, it's just the beginning of what we've been promised. We've been promised that if we'll try, if we'll trust, we will encounter God. We will see Jesus. We will experience that moment-by-moment guiding of the Holy Spirit. 
So we've got to share these stories because we open up the opportunity that someone might see Jesus while we're talking about having seen Jesus or that we're at least going to rekindle a hope inside of them that if we saw Jesus, maybe they could see Jesus. Years ago, I lost my grandfather suddenly, uh, unexpectedly, and it was hard. Uh, I was uh, far away from home when I found out about it, and uh, my dad called me up and said, Son, you need to come home. Uh, I just don't have a voice to preach, so I need you to do that for me. And so I came home for uh, about a month and preached uh, to give my dad a break. And in the midst of struggling through all that and being angry with, with what had happened and, and struggling with being angry at God, I, rem- I will never forget, I was walking out of church, and Neldon can testify to this, you're never more tired as a preacher than right after church. And so I'm walking out of church trying to hold myself up, and, and I'm thinking all these thoughts, and I'm wondering if I even believe some of the things that I had just preached earlier that morning, and I wasn't sure that I had the confidence to believe what I'd been talking about. And then I heard a voice, a little voice, cry out my name, call out my name, shout it out the way little kids will. And I turned around, and it was Casey, this little girl from my church, that I had known since she was a baby, and she was running towards me. And I picked her up, and she hugged me. And then, while I was still holding her, and, and I was about to ask her how she was doing, and, and all those things that you want to talk about with a little kid, she very seriously put her little hand on my cheek, and she said, I'm sorry, Jared. And I said, honey, you didn't do anything that you need to be sorry for. And she said, I'm, your heart is sad and I'm sorry. And then she just hugged my neck tight and wouldn't let go. And I knew. Right? I knew. That it wasn't just a little girl hugging me in a parking lot after church on a Sunday. It was Jesus through a little girl, helping me remember I'm not alone. That even in moments like that, I'm not alone. Now, why wouldn't we tell stories like that? Well, it's because I'm afraid someone's going to leave and decide that the whole sermon was about me, or that I'm telling a story like that and it's just bragging, or that, that you might think that I have those kinds of experiences every other Sunday. I don't. But I think it's worth the risk of all the awkwardness and all the insecurities that start to rise in my own heart when I share personal stories like that to say, if I believe I encountered Jesus Christ, why am I not sharing that story with the people of Christ? Because maybe it'll help us see what we have have forgotten how to see. I want to end this sermon by by looking at two different stories in our life. That's a story from the past. But we've got a story from the present that's unfolding, and we have a story from the future that will be unfolding soon. And so I want to end this time together by sharing those stories. The first one, you may have heard about this if you've been here a while. If you're new, you might not have. But we have this opportunity because of of kind of political unrest that started in 2009 in the nation of Nepal. We had a community of people who were assigned here to Abilene, Texas uh, by the International Refugee Committee, which is an arm of the United Nations. They were given a new home here. And they reached out to our church and said, 
you've got all of these uh, Bhutanese families coming, and, and it would be great if you could help them with English as a second language classes, if, that, if you could just help them a little bit with that. And over the course of the last seven and a half years, countless volunteers have answered the call in this church family to be Jesus to, to those folks who Jesus is sending to us. Right? And, and it's amazing. The numbers are staggering. We've helped 500 families. We, we've had 50 baptisms. We have a citizenship class that helps, helps them figure out exactly what they've got to do to go through a pretty complicated process of what it is to become a U.S. citizen and pass all the tests and do that. We, we've helped several, many, many people go through that experience. That's not a simple thing. You go to Dallas, you've got to be there, you've got to wait and hope and get the news, and that's just one little food and housing and and not just English as a second language, but medical care and all the things that, that you can imagine coming to America for the first time and not knowing any of that, what kind of help you need. There are countless people in this church who every single day serve in the name of Christ to be Christ to those folks. And what's amazing to me is every single time I talk to one of our volunteers, they're the first to correct me and say, no, they're Jesus to us. We see Jesus in them. So what I want to do, I want to ask every single person who's ever been a part of either receiving ministry from this this Bhutanese uh, community outreach that we have, or anybody in this room who's ever done anything from a citizenship class to driving a bus, or you guys aren't standing up, stand up, you know what's coming. I want all of you to stand up, every single person. Keep standing up. Okay, before you clap, wait, 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 wait. I want you to look at these faces. I'm not going to say a single name, and I could. Because every single one of these people would tell you that the most important name is the Lord they serve. And that they do it because of what he's done for them and through them. Now let's give God glory for what these people are doing in Jesus' name. Okay, later this week, we have people who have answered the call to go to Haiti in, in the wake of this, this horrible storm, Matthew, that had happened. Uh, there's all kinds of people who are wounded. There's all kinds of people who need even more food and more medical care than usual. And we have a team that is going to build a home for a family. So if you're going on that team, I want you to stand up. Okay. I want you to see these people. Turn your head if you have to to look at them. I want you to hold them in your heart because we're going to send them out. I'm about to pray over them. And what we're asking is that they will go and be Christ. That they'll listen to the Holy Spirit. That they'll create God stories in this next week through what they do. And that when they come home, I know them. They're not going to take credit. They're not going to take the glory. But this is what it looks like to be church, brothers and sisters. We don't just share God stories. We seek to write new God stories. And we never do that on our own, but we can only do that through God's help. Would you pray with me? God, as these men and women go this week to build a home and to give food to the hungry, to clothe those who've lost everything, to give them medical care, we are reminded of Matthew 25 and your promise that when we serve in your name, we are serving you. And we confess our conviction that when we serve in your name, we are also serving as you. 
And so the credit's not ours. The glory's not ours. The celebration isn't about us. It's about you. And so God, be with them. Protect them more than anything else. Be with them. Work through them. And help them encounter your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, our shepherds and their wives are going to be standing in various places throughout the auditorium. They're there to talk with you, to, to pray with you. If you want to share a God story with them, if, if you have something that you, a question that you need to ask them about what does it mean to follow Jesus more faithfully or to become a part of our church family, they, they want to receive you. Um, so I'm going to ask those couples, if they would, to please stand just briefly so you can kind of see where they are. Go to them as together we stand and sing.